Hey everyone, and welcome to the We Are The Evidence podcast, season one, Hear Us Out. Your hosts, Shay from We Are The Evidence and Melissa from Mulberry Fiber Studios were brought together by Quick Horse Sale and have been best friends ever since. This podcast focuses on surviving and healing through sexual assault, abuse, and toxic relationships, and how that healing journey touches on every part of our lives. We're excited to have you. guys and welcome back to the we are the evidence podcast it is episode four i can't believe we've made it a month now and you're joining us on a super crazy week for both of us so it um might be a little bit shorter of an episode but we still wanted to jump on and talk to you so it's melissa and i'm here with shay how you doing shay good like we were saying it has been such a busy week for us so I love that we found the time to squeeze it in. Thank you for that. I know. It's some weeks we seem to have like all the time in the world to record. And then this week it's just been, it's been a struggle. I know. We were going to record last night and I passed out. (laughs) That's okay. Because I lost track of time first and was late getting back to you. And I was like, shit, she probably fell asleep. Okay, that's fine. I'll just spin (laughs) some yarn and then also go to sleep. (laughs) I was out. And I woke up at 2 a.m. this morning. I am. Of course you did, because that is so crazy to me. I just, I still don't get it. Um, so we do have some exciting news for you guys. Next week, our episode is going to be extra special. We're going to have a wonderful guest coming on to share her experience and kind of talk to you guys about a little bit different aspect because she has some experience in the army. Or had her experience in the army. So that's going to be something a little bit different to talk to you guys about. So we're really excited to have her. So look forward to that next week. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to her about her experience going through the army process. Because, I mean, today we're going to talk a little bit about reporting and work our way into talking about court through my experience, which is just through the regular legal system. So I'm really interested to hear what she has to say. Yeah, the little bit that she's told me so far, it just sounds like completely different than yours. And she had a really positive experience reporting and going through everything, which from what she was saying is really kind of rare in the Army. So she can speak to that as well, because she unfortunately has a lot of friends that did not have a positive experience with reporting in the Army. So, yeah, I think that'll I'm really interested to hear hear more of her story and her experience and share it with everybody. So um like Shay say to, like Shay said, sorry. It's that long. Yeah. We're going to talk to you guys a little bit about reporting today and Shay's experience. And we do have a special we do have a special guest today that you won't be hearing from. Um Clementine, my great Dane puppy is joining us to record today uh because she still cannot be trusted on her own. <laughs> <laughs> but she has her um, rough day Chardonnay toy. It's her favorite. It. And uh, yeah, so she's just going to she's gonna be here for moral support. And Shay will have to post a picture of her on Instagram because she is so stinking cute. She is. She's just sitting there chewing on her toy. Yeah, she's such a good girl. So 
Shay, do you want to kind of start us off with how just kind of the basics of how you actually report, how you go about it? And um... Yep. So, and I didn't know what to expect. I remember when I decided to make the report, it was one day I just kind of woke up and I was like, today is the day I'm going to do this. And I say it calmly now and I was not calm at the time. I was an emotional mess. Um, but I called the county where the assault happened. I called their legal team and said I wanted to file a report. They had me talk to the person who was working, so the deputy who was on shift. And of course, I didn't know what to expect. And I'm sure most people don't when they make a report, you expect to maybe get to talk to the detective right away or you just, you expect there to be something different than it was, at least that's my experience. But I talked to the deputy and I did it over the phone and I was fortunate. He was, um, he was quiet, but he was kind and he was validating for me. And so I called and I just word vomited. I gave my entire report and I just didn't stop talking and didn't give him a chance to even say anything. Then when I was all done, he was like, well, thank you for sharing everything. I'm just going to write a preliminary report and give it to a detective to call you when she's in. And <laughs> and then you were like, shit, I have to do this all over again. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you're making a report, know that. You don't have to share everything right away. They'll ask you for the details they need to know. Um, but I, I wish I'd known that because, I, like I said, I just said everything and spilled everything and poor guy was probably trying to take notes and wasn't prepared but he was very kind about it so um, he did that and then he gave it to a detective and he told me I might not hear for I think up to 10 days which is a long time after you've just shared everything to not hear anything but I was fortunate the detective contacted me the next day so I didn't have to wait but I have to tell you the hardest part about reporting and going to court is that waiting and not knowing that constantly comes up yeah, you mentioned that, I think, in the second episode, that it was just, that was honestly the most difficult part for you, especially in your healing journey, is just how many times you not only have to talk about it and kind of relive it, but then also just waiting. You don't know when anything is going to happen, if it's going to happen, um, and, and your court process took years, which I expect is probably pretty normal. Mm -hmm. Have you found any different? No, my, I talked to other people who are going through the court process and sometimes they'll come to me and they'll be like, I just talked to the detective and it's going to trial in X amount of months. And I always try to tell them that even though a trial date might be set for X amount of months out, it's probably going to get delayed. There's probably going to be a bunch of hearings in between there and to expect it to take up to a couple of years. Um, it's not going to happen that fast unless the defendant pleads guilty. And they changed your court date multiple times. Multiple correct? times. And like the, because trial always started on Tuesday and I would get a call like Friday saying it got canceled. Like the Friday and, before. And what were some of the reasons? Did they give you reasons or just say it's been rescheduled? No, um, the defense always asked for more time, said that they needed more time to prepare and the way things are laid out in the judicial system is people have the right to do a thorough case within reason. So they kept getting more and more time. And then the lawyer one time had medical reasons he couldn't do it. 
there's things like that that just kept getting pushed out. Yeah. And what's interesting, because I, like I mentioned, I'm a huge true crime person. So what I've kind of learned through all of those um, documentaries and podcasts and whatnot is that, and what's interesting with our judicial, judicial system is that it's on the prosecution to prove guilt because mm-hmm. they're always innocent into, until proven guilty. So the burden of proof really isn't on the defense. It's no. on. And so the defense, but at, at the same time, I feel like they kind of play a game a little bit in needing more time and doing more things, just kind of dragging it out. And I don't know what exactly they're hoping for, but that just seems to be a reoccurring theme. And I'm like, what do you guys have to prepare for? It's the burden of proof isn't even on you. And you're also defending a piece of shit. But, um, you know, that that is what it is. <laughs> um, no offense to defense attorneys out there. There are good ones. Uh, in this case, he was not. And I can say that very confidently. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I don't. I think that they do do some investigating. Honestly, I think that they get to pick and choose what cases they take. And so if they didn't have the time to prepare as much as they want for this case, they'll just ask for it to be extended. I'm pretty confident in my situation. The defense attorney only had like a script that he followed. He didn't do and he didn't add anything to the trial besides preparing questions to ask the witnesses that the prosecution had. But Oh, wow. Okay. Well, he added the defendant um, ended up testifying. So he added that, which was interesting. And going to court, we can probably cover in detail next time. Or not next time, but two times from now. So did you, in all all of your, like, hearings and everything beforehand, did you ever see him in between when the assault happened and then, like, you left school and all that stuff between then and the trial? No, and from my understanding, oops, we lost you there. Um, I'll ask you again. <laughs> so, did you ever see him between the time that you, uh, between the time that your assault occurred, and then you saw him in class a little bit around campus before you left, and then in trial? Did you see him at any of those hearings in between? Nope. So. I wasn't required to go to any of the hearings until like the trial. And I think that's typical that the victim's not required to, I think they can get invited to, I could be, there might be situations where the victim's required to be there, but typically I don't think they are. Um, and in, in something okay. like, this, I don't think they're going to try and put you in the same room as that person. Cause even during my court case, when it was in trial, they did everything they could to make sure that him and I never crossed paths in the hallway um, we had our own like doors that we would come in and out of the court building with once we were in. So they don't think, I think they want to keep you safe. At least that was my experience as they went above and beyond to make sure that I wasn't ever going to see him until trial. And then, um, like when there would be a recess, I'd get to leave first before him. Okay. So that's really interesting too. And I think that that is important to note because I would imagine I mean, that you were very anxious to see him again and that whole thing and probably really fearful of having some interaction with him outside of seeing him in court. So that is important, I think, to note for other people that might be in this position or might be considering reporting and going to trial 
um, that that things are kept really separate. That's not something that I knew. So that is, I would say mm-hmm. that is a good aspect of it um, to kind of help prepare you. And I mean, obviously it's going to be a stressful and traumatic experience, but hopefully that can kind of settle you down a little bit in terms of thinking you're not going to have to interact with this person outside of unfortunately seeing them in the courtroom. Right. Yeah. And his family was kind of treated the same way because I was good. It was hard seeing them being there, but it was kind of treated the same. Well, and I, I don't know, I guess I would have been afraid because I'm like an overthinker. So I would have been like, oh my gosh, are they going to try to talk to me? Are they going to have nasty things to say to me? Are they going to you know, try to pull me aside and kind of verbally attack me? And am I going to have to, I don't know, explain myself or whatever? So that's encouraging to know that that is not allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, cool. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of what other questions I had to ask you. It kind of threw me off when our microphone stopped working. <laughs> um, so, okay, so you first reported, you talked to the detective over the phone, which was probably because you, like you said, it happened eight hours away, right? So it wasn't in the county that you lived in. Yeah. So after you called and then you were called back by the detective, then what happened? After the detective called me, she said that she was going to have to follow up on some of my, um, like what I had said collaborating evidence or corroborating evidence and I think a big reason why she took me seriously I mean I'd like to think that they take every person who comes forward with a sexual assault seriously but they don't um and some things I did to that I think helped that is I provided her with like the phone numbers of who to call I was like here's my roommate's phone number here's my mom's phone number here's the um contact information I had for him before I laid it all out for her. I was like, this is everything. Call them. I um, I had like photos of the what I'd been wearing that night. And I just like I sent it all to her. I didn't wait for her to ask. I was like, here's everything I have that I could possibly give you. Um, okay. And this is kind of where I go back to saying that, unfortunately, we have to be our own advocate. And that was an opportunity where I really tried to advocate for myself. Like, I'm not just reporting. I want you to look into this. And she did. And so from there, she contacted my roommate, my um, family, and then she contacted him and his roommate at the time. And then um, she came up with a report and then gave it to the prosecution to decide what to do with. Okay. And then the prosecution reached out to you and pretty much said, we're willing to take this on if you want to press charges. Yep, they invited me down. So we drove all the way down, me and my um, husband at the time. We drove down and that's when he he asked me, he's like, do you want to report it or we could just file this so if he ever gets reported on again, there's something in the records. And he did a really good job explaining to me that he's seen cases with a lot more strong evidence with them lose and he's also seen cases that had much less that one and just how many variables there are and how hard it is to know what to do but 
I, I was fortunate and he gave me the option. So I was able to say I wanted to push forward with it. Did you know right away that if they were going to take it that you would want to push forward? Or did you have to think about that a little bit? Um, I had to, I didn't realize that I'd be really given that option. I figured they'd say, like, either we can take this to court or we can't. Oh, and sure. the district attorney or assistant district attorney I was working with um, was very passionate about helping people who had been sexually assaulted. So I was fortunate for that. And so he gave me the option and I did have to like think about it for a little bit because I didn't realize it would be up to me at all. I thought it would just be up to them. And sure. it was a tough decision, but I think I knew that I wanted to see it through. Right. Well, and that makes sense. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, and I'm glad that you were fortunate enough to get an assistant district attorney that was passionate about that and that felt felt strongly and that they were willing to take the case because unfortunately I feel like that's I don't have any proof I just feel like that's not always the case no I'm assuming the burnout is really high for those positions so you and I both worked in um like I've worked for a county system before you've worked for a government system before right. and they pile on a lot of work. You get a lot more work than what you really probably get paid to do. Mm -hmm. And as much as you might care about the job at first, burnout's a really big thing. And so when looking at the victim advocate, the detective and the assistant district attorney, I lucked out that they were as supportive as they are. But I really tried to make sure that I made their jobs as easy as possible, which I shouldn't have to do. A victim shouldn't have to do that. Sure. But the reality is I think we kind of have to because I'm sure as supportive as he is now and as passionate as he is now, I can't imagine he'll keep that steam going for sure. very long. Which is unfortunate, but you're right in whatever field you're in, um, in, in those kinds of positions, burnout is a real thing and it's really hard to keep well, that compared, momentum. Yeah. Compared to the defense attorney who got to pick and choose who, which client had the most money to give him what case he wanted to take on that's so different than a, a district attorney or someone who's doing the prosecution where they have everything come across their desk you right know, there's a difference right. well and that's one of the reasons cause i think i shared with you i considered going to law school um but i just i couldn't and criminal law is what interests me you know obviously i like true crime stuff but i just couldn't justify or morally I, I couldn't be a criminal defense attorney I just couldn't do it and then I knew how bad the burnout rate was for a prosecutor and I just I don't know I couldn't bring myself to do it um but I have a lot of respect for prosecutors mm -hmm. um, because they do have a really really hard position and criminal defense attorneys well, we'll just I'm not gonna get started on that soapbox because I have a lot to say oh <laughs> <laughs> um so and I know this is a question that I shouldn't have to ask, but I want to because I want our listeners that are potentially in this position to feel like they are as prepared as they can can be to report. Did anybody ever ask you in any any of the interviews or phone calls or anything in between? Did anybody ever ask you something that implied that you were lying or that or making it up? or that it didn't really happen that way or 
were you sure of what happened? Did anybody, did that come up at all? I hope. Um, I'm trying to think if it, I know with like trial, it obviously came up, but before sure. that, leading up to it, I would say no. I received, um, everyone believed me. The prosecution, of course, like talked me through a lot of my facts and I think kind of tried to like ask me questions that might trip me up before trial to see if my facts lined up but he never even acted like that was because he didn't believe me but more so because trauma memories suck and don't always happen linear like I remember I think remembering one part of my assault and then weeks later remembering a different part my memories were fragmented but unfortunately in trial that can look like you're being dishonest Sure. And that's another thing that I've seen. I mean, on both sides, you're prepped by your attorney Mm -hmm. on how you're going to testify or answer questions or whatever. So I think that's normal. But so I'm glad that everyone believed you and that that was never a question because it never should be. But unfortunately, I'm sure it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to think what else is really important so if someone God, I cannot talk today if someone <laughs> were going to report or thinking about reporting um what would you say to them I would say think through your report beforehand I'm not saying um like memorize anything or coach yourself through anything because you want it to be authentic and you want that emotion to be there that whatever emotion comes up organically but think through the timeline and maybe try saying it out loud once what you're going to say even the bare bones because you will have to say the explicit terms for things um you will have to say words like penetrate the names of the genitals that were involved and that's hard. That I mean, how often do you talk like that when you're talking about consensual sexual encounters? Right. It's hard and painful and awkward. And I remember them saying, like, we need you to say these words. Um, okay. The detective said that. Yeah. And in, when I was testifying in court, sure. I had to say, like, but in your report, too, they have to have okay. those words. Um, know that what they need to be able to prove is that one intercourse or the sexual occurrence happened so you have to touch on that what happened and you have to touch on the non-consent part so I think if you know those two things in your head you can remember like those are the key things you have to hit on what about your report shows that there was not consent Mm -hmm. which even if you say no or you say I did not say yes just make that really explicitly clear say those words and then talk to the event that occurred. Um, no, it's okay to take breaks. No, it's okay to ask if you bring someone with you. They might say no, but that's the worst they might say. And I think typically they're more likely to say it's okay. Right. Um, yeah, those are the big things. And have it kind of planned out where you're going to do take care of yourself after. Do you need the rest of the week off of work so you can like just do self-care? Do you need to work your tail off, which is what I do in order to process? What do you need to do? Yeah. How how were you afterwards? After um, recording. 
I remember feeling pretty numb and I think I crashed. I think I slept, which isn't like me, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I slept. Um, I felt a big sense of relief. Of course, there's that anxiety that came almost later about not knowing what was next, but immediately after just knowing I did that step came with a big sense of relief. Yeah. And I, and it has to be somewhat cathartic to tell the story really in its full entirety, as difficult as that is. Because like you said, when we were talking about disclosing, you would use terms um, that didn't necessarily, that weren't, that would describe sexual assault, but were not sexual assault in really descriptive terms. And so, you know, when you tell the story and you're like, well, I was sexually assaulted, um, you don't get into the nitty gritty because, you know, you don't need to. Mm -hmm. But I can see how that just taking it almost to a technical level or I, I don't know what the right term is, but I could see where that would be cathartic just to get literally everything out. Mm-hmm. And- For me, it was. Um, and to know that I had taken a step to hold him accountable, I didn't know where it was going to go, but I did what was in my power to do, which was make a report. Right. Right. And that's, yeah, that's, so how many times did you really have to tell your story during the reporting process before you got to court? Well, I mean, there was the time where I accidentally just like word vomited everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then to the detective and then, then to the prosecuting attorney. And I don't think I shared every little thing, but it got pretty detailed. So three times, okay. but it really only needed to be two times. Well, yeah, but I mean, like I could see, I probably would have done the same thing because I even do that when I like call a store and I need to go to like a specific department and I just, I'm like, you know, I prepare for everything because I'm so socially anxious. And so I've like, I have the script in my head of like exactly what I'm going to say, exactly what I'm going to need just so that I get what I need to get from this phone call. And Mm -hmm. after I go on or like a doctor's office. And so, you know, I call and I go on my little spiel. And then after like three minutes, they're like, okay, well, uh, let me transfer you. (laughs) You know, it was all for nothing. (laughs) So I can relate on a way lighter, way non-important level. (laughs) Exactly that. Like the poor guy. I mean, that's his job. But still, he was like, you probably wanted to tell me to pause because he felt that I'd have to reshare it all. Because after, afterward, he's like, well, I'm sorry, I have to say everything again, but I'll give your number to the detective. And I was like, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I feel like that's, that's a pretty normal thing. So mm-hmm. how long were your, like, meetings with these people where, you know, how long could people kind of expect on average to be talking to people? I guess it will be different for everybody, but. Yeah. And again, I went. I reported kind of with the mindset that I'm going to give them everything. And so for me, there wasn't a lot of follow-up questions, except for they had a prompt. They would say like, we need to hear you say this happened. And these, again, those keywords that are so hard to say, um, Mm -hmm. but less than an hour, I'd say for both. Well, yeah, I mean, they're key. They're very keywords and they do need to hear it so that they can move forward. But, you know, at the same time, like you said, the, um, 
the denial phase is so strong. Mm-hmm. So saying the words out loud, especially to an authority figure, mm-hmm. does unfortunately, I mean, it is real, but it just makes it seem so much more real when you're yeah, trying to gross and dirty having to explain like it in that way right um like I still can't like when I talk to people I'd, no one uses those terms so like I said I think that no. was a big shock when I reported is that I'd have to do that okay yeah so that's important for people to remember too you'll have to give some pretty gross details and be prepared for that mm-hmm. but they they need to hear it um and it needs to be it needs to be in the report unfortunately mm-hmm. um and then Oh, can I do like a soapbox thing too? Oh, yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, and this is why I think it's really important when raising kids to teach them the names of their genitals, because if they're sexually assaulted, one thing that perpetrators will do is they'll be like, well, that's your like naughty place or your secret place or your private place so you can't talk about it. Oh. And also, if you give the kids the words to use, when they have to report it, they can say my uncle touched my whatever, like they have that word and then they're more likely to be taken seriously and more can happen. So I really oh. think it's important to raise your kids to know the names of their genitals. So that's my soapbox. That's a really important point. And that's not something that I would have ever thought of. Mm-hmm. And it's so sad that you have to teach your kids that for that reason. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately the world we live in it's just best to be prepared. Yeah, and you don't have to teach it in like a sexual way, but just so they know those <laughs> names so the perpetrator can't say, remember, that's your private part. Don't talk about it. Right, right. They might not associate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good tip. Mm-hmm. Um, something else that you said that I think was important um, to remember is that they are going to ask for other witnesses or other people that can corroborate your mm-hmm. story. And so, you know, to remember who did you talk to, let those people know, hey, I'm reporting, I'm going to give them, you might be hearing from a detective because of this, Um, you know, and then remembering that they are just gathering all of the evidence that they can possibly get to help your case and not, um, you know, don't perceive it as they don't believe you and they need other people to validate it. They're just, they're trying to help and give you as solid of a case as possible yeah and people that I had listed as like corroborating people to talk to weren't people who were there at the scene um it was people who I either disclosed to or people who knew me at the time and could even say like yeah I remember her leaving with him just to show that at least parts of my story were true even if they weren't there for the actual act right yeah so that's really important Mm -hmm. to note too they didn't have to witness it happening all around it to put all the pieces together yeah okay um anything else about reporting that uh not that i can think of i think next we'll be going into the court process which you know that'll take probably a couple episodes because there's so much to it but there's so much to it yeah no i think this is helpful for people yeah yeah and the court process that'll that'll be kind of news for me too because we talked about it a little bit but i don't know all the nitty-gritty details which is probably good for you guys to get my genuine reaction and um all of my disbelief follow-up questions (laughs) yeah um yeah nope clementine's having a dream could you hear her (laughs) yeah i can oh she's so cute 
just having a dream about who knows what, barking at something. <laughs> I love her. She's so funny. Um, her nap game is so hard. I wish I could just be her right now. <laughs> Sleep, yeah. Dog. Okay, well, um, I think that's probably about all we have to share with you about reporting. Again, if you have any questions or just want to talk about it further, Shay has mentioned previously to reach out to her and she can, you know, help help talk you through her experience some more and answer your questions as best as she can. And again, if you want to come onto the podcast, if you want to share your story, if you have any questions for us or you have topic requests, you can email them to wearetestifiers at gmail.com. You can find us at weareevidence.com or on Instagram at wearetheevidence. Did I get it right? <laughs> yeah. <I'm so> <laughs> <impressed>. <laughs> I can tell every, every time I do it and then I get to the end and I'm like, oh, something doesn't feel right. No, okay. that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so that is where you can find us. And next week we're going to have our first guest and share um, a slightly different topic with you guys and talk about the Army side of sexual assault reporting cases and the whole trial, I guess, if you could call it that. It's it's just all totally different. So, um, yeah, so that's all for me for this week. What about you, Shay? <laughs> No, that's it. We'll hopefully finish out this busy week strong and next week will be better. Yeah, no kidding. Um, do you have a funny story? Um, not really. I like think I broke my toe. So I've been trying to train broad church with like a broken toe. And that's been funny. Stallions are so goofy because I've trained mares and geldings. And so stallions just have their own personality. You kind of have to like fluff their ego a little bit. So he's been, he's been and he's a goofy. baby. He's a baby stallion. Yeah, which <laughs> even more so. <laughs> yeah, lots of telling him he's a like good boy, telling him he's pretty. He needs all the positive reinforcement, which is funny because my mares that they don't care about that at all. <laughs> no, not even a little bit. That's no. so funny. I know. I've always had girls. I've always had mares. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's so funny. Mm. We'll have to. Um, You'll have to post that video on Instagram <laughs> that I sent you on. today. No, of wow. um, the one that I sent you that my husband sent me about that little boy, like, throwing a fit and running away from home um, that was, like, caught on a doorbell cam. And it is so funny. And my yeah. husband sent it to me and said, well, this is this is a ver- this is you as a, as a child, like, the you version um, of a child. And I was like, I don't really know what you're talking about. And he's like, uh, yeah, that would be you and your PJs with a puppy under each arm. Because I told you you couldn't have another <laughs> lamb or something. <laughs> it's so funny. And just the video itself, I watched it, I don't know, probably a dozen times. And I laughed every single time. So it's we'll so share, that, mm-hmm. share that for you guys for some comedic relief. <laughs> um. But yeah, that's all we've got for you guys. So thanks for joining us and we'll hope to hear or we'll hope that you'll listen to us next week. Yeah. Bye guys. Bye.